Welcome to another podcast from the Rotary End Community Service Radio Show, which is now in its 12th year. Our show is heard every Friday between 6 and 8pm on Community Radio Station 94.1 FM, 3WBC, and is also streamed live on the World Wide Web at www.3wbc.org.au. Here is a recorded interview, first played on the 31st of May 2019, by Ian Salick with Professor Robert Helm, Chair of the District 9800 Foundation Peace Fellowship Subcommittee that selects and financially supports men and women to go overseas and better achieve peace in our world. This is 94.1 FM 3WBC, the voice of the Inner East, and you're listening to the Rotary and Community Service Radio Show with Ian Salick right through until 8 o'clock tonight. It is my great pleasure to welcome to the 94.1 FM 3WBC microphone a man who has achieved so much in his personal working life and is now achieving so much in Rotary and for Rotary. Professor Robert Helm is a Monash graduate and a recently retired clinical neurologist participating in medical education and medico-legal work. He is a much-valued member of the Rotary Club of Melbourne and in relation to our discussion this evening is the chair of the Rotary District 9800 Foundation Peace Fellows Subcommittee. Robert, thank you for joining us and welcome to the program. Well, thanks Ian uh, for your kind introduction. Uh, I must say uh, uh, I'm not quite as uh, expert in these things that you seem to imply, but it is a pleasure to come and talk to your audience tonight. I think you're being very, very modest indeed, Robert, and you need not be with me because we know your attributes and strengths very, very well. Now, Robert, before we talk about your rotary work, which uh, uh, is very important, what is clinical neurology and where have you spent most of your working life? Clinical... uh Neurology refers to the diagnosis and treatment of diseases of the nervous system, both the brain or central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system, and tacked onto that is uh, diseases of muscle. Uh, So um, uh, I trained uh, at uh, Harvard in that specialty many years ago after doing an internship uh, and um, uh, a PhD at Monash. Uh, and um, uh, then went into the Monash teaching hospitals to keep my uh, general clinical skills up to up to scratch. And uh, I stayed at Monash uh, in the Monash teaching hospitals until 1987, when I crossed the Yarra, which is a very broad river in this town, uh, when it comes to academia. And um, uh, from 1987 to 2000, I was the director of the National Ageing Research Institute in the Parkville Strip. Uh, I uh, left academia more or less at that time, uh, having established uh, um, for the first time in Australia a a pain clinic for older people, a memory clinic in Victoria, a falls and balance clinic uh, at the old Mount Royal up in Parkville, which you probably remember. I do. And uh, uh, I... um, uh, then went into back into my first love of clinical neurology and have been there for the last 20 years. A marvellous career in uh, academia. I'd like to ask you, how did Harvard come about? 
Well, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, I went to my main mentor at uh, Monash and said, uh, rather than stay in your department, I'd like to get training in clinical neurology. And I dared to say that I thought I could do that better in the States than I could in Australia. And he said, uh, why don't you think about Harvard? Uh, which I hadn't done to that point, of course. And so I put in an application for uh, one of the training positions um, and uh, I got an invitation to go to the interview and I said to him, what do I do now? And he said, are you going to go or aren't you? So I went at my own expense. I'd gone the furthest, so they gave me one of six uh, positions that were available in that year out of something like 650 applicants. I Robert, think. well done. What a great achievement and a uh, commendation of your ability. It's interesting, was Harvard recognised then as the prime learning institution in relation to uh, neurology? Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, I would say that it still is, uh, but many on the west coast of the US would object, as many would on the east coast, I suppose, as well. Um, it's always been prominent since uh, especially the 1950s, uh, when in fact a New Zealander went to the Boston City Hospital and uh, he uh, trained a number of neurologists uh, who took up positions on the East Coast. And uh, one of them was at uh, the Massachusetts General Hospital, which is where I was, uh, but others were scattered about. And um, that's how neurology in the US got going. And were they more advanced uh, from what you'd been doing here in Australia? Did you find them to be very much uh, ahead of what you'd learned here in Australia? Well, the answer to that question uh, is that their resource base was very, very much greater. And so, yes, they, they were able to explore issues before other people in the world. I remember uh, the first CT scanner of the brain uh, in the US was installed about six months before I got there, but that was the first one in North America uh, there was nothing in Australia for another uh, five to ten years. So they were well ahead, obviously, and what a great, what a great privilege to be there uh, at, the, at, at such a time. Uh, Robert, just uh, leaving that uh, field that you uh, have excelled in so well, I mentioned in the introduction that you're currently a member of the Rotary Club of Melbourne. How long have you been in Rotary for? I've been in that uh, club now for just a little over 20 years. Wonderful stuff. And what, what really motivated you in the first place to join Rotary? And I suppose uh, uh, an adjunct to that is why the Rotary Club of Melbourne? Uh, it's very easy to answer. Uh, as uh, most of us are, I was tapped on the shoulder by uh, a fairly prominent member of the Rotary Club of Melbourne at the time, the Reverend Doug Fullerton. Uh, and uh, he uh, was on my um, ethics committee, human ethics committee, as I recall, at the Institute. And he said, I think you'd probably make a good Rotarian. So that's how I got there. And how right they were, or he was. Uh, so had you done any volunteer work prior to that? And you become, you know, quite often I'm talking to people and say, oh, yes, I was in Scouts or I volunteered when I was at school. Yes, I did that. Or I, I collected for the Red Cross. Had you been involved in anything of that nature that... Uh, uh, no, not really. I'd had my nose in the books ever since I was uh, 
young fellow. Well, your contribution to society is, has been uh, at, at a very high level in any case, so you don't have to have been in Scouts to have been uh, contributing to society. Uh, Robert, I know that the Rotary Club of Melbourne is, I call it Rotary's longest established uh, Rotary Club in Australia, never the oldest Rotary Club in Australia because that has connotations that are not correct. But how many members does the Rotary Club of Melbourne currently have? Uh, I checked, it's, it's just under 250. Um, so uh, it's been fairly stable over the last decade or so, except it did go up further than that for a while, but now it's drifted back to that. And it's a constant challenge, isn't it, in Rotary to get new members and to get members that are young members that can carry on the wonderful tradition that Rotary is. Yes, that's very true. Robert, um, the size of membership you've told us, but what about some of the professions of the members of the Rotary Club of Melbourne? It's pretty diverse, is it not? It is very diverse and I have uh, a, a list here of the classification of Rotary members which spreads on to three pages, but uh, it's an interesting exercise to uh, um, look at. Um, there are 33 uh, on this list I've got here who are consultants in one field or another, which is uh, you know, a very great number. Um, next comes the university inf administration infrastructure, way down with nine. State government eight, law eight, medicine eight, banking six. So there you go, it's that sort of group of people who are around the centre of the city. A very highly based professional coterie of members, obviously in the Rotary Club of Melbourne. Uh, where and when do you meet? Uh, we meet at the Sofitel uh, every Wednesday lunchtime. Um, the meeting starts at uh, 10 to 1 and finishes promptly at two. If the speaker goes over, people walk out, as is well known. <laughs> I, I like that. Now, that is very professional, because I dare say some of your members are still working in and around the city. Oh, yes, uh, they, they are, uh, although there's a number in the, in the inner and middle suburbs as well, and a few outliers. Um, it's, one keeps the people who own the vineyards up in the Yarra Valley. Oh, and so very on. wise. They have to stay in the yeah, club. Of course, very wise. They're encouraged. We make I think that's very, very wise indeed for conviviality. Obviously, very wise indeed. Now, uh, tell us, please, how can any of our listeners find out more about your club, and uh, how could they find out in relation to the possibility of joining your club? I know they've got to be interviewed. And, go through a procedure, but how do they first make contact with your club, especially those city-based listeners in the city of Melbourne, how would they go about it? Well, uh, <clears throat> the first response these days is uh, look at the website, uh, which is uh, Rotary Club of Melbourne, all one, uh, at, uh, um, what is it, uh, uh, org.au. Uh, we're fortunate in having such a large membership. We uh, have uh, in our employer manager who sits in a, a small office which has recently been uh, um, refurbished and paid for by uh, some of the members uh, that's situated at 14 Collins Street. So uh, that uh, person is very obliging, as I'm sure you found in the past, as have so many. Uh, she's there uh, nearly full time, so uh, uh, that, those are the two ways to get in contact.
not only do you have very professional members, I know, but you have a very professional structure of administration around the Rotary Club of Melbourne. Uh, and uh, there, there is no wonder because your members are so diverse in terms of their professions, you'd want that sort of support and backup administratively. So it's very well done and I'm very well aware of that. It's uh, a, quite an iconic situation at the Rotary Club of Melbourne. Well, you were formed in 1921, uh, so you're coming up to your centenary, aren't you? That's right. Uh, some uh, big celebrations planned at that time and again in 2023, now that we've uh, won the international convention for that year. I think that's a great compliment. Of course, it, it would have been good if it had been in 2021, but I know you can't have everything you want in the world. Uh, as my previous managing director said, we can, if we can't have the whole world, we want seven-eighths of it. And uh, I know that you've got that in the Rotary Club of Melbourne, uh, but it's been a wonderful history. Robert, um, let's just very briefly before we take a break, just, just get into your key role currently in Rotary District 9800 as the chair of the Rotary District 9800 Foundation Peace Fellows Subcommittee. It is a real ma uh, mouthful, obviously, but it's something that is so worthwhile. What is a Peace Fellow and when did Rotary start that program? The start of the program is uh, a little bit lost in the mists of time, but I understand that uh, when, the, when Rotary was established uh, way back in 1905, there was some thought that peace should be a prominent uh, objective and uh, uh, nothing much happened until later in the 1920s uh, and then it faded away again until about the 1990s and then the program was, was very uh, extensively planned and got it away in uh, 2001. Uh, and has been therefore going for 19 years now. Um, and it, uh, uh, the structure that was uh, uh, preferred at that time, and it's about to change somewhat, uh, is that there are currently five universities uh, around the world who run a master's program in peace studies uh, for uh, young adults who apply, who um, uh, are passionate, committed, have a median age that, uh, that is mid in the, re in the, in the re uh, range of 31. So they're coming through with quite a bit of experience that informs them about what they're getting themselves into if they follow this sort of career. Uh, there's uh, also one program which is called a certificate course which is run in Thailand with uh, visiting lecturers flown in. Uh, and associated with fieldwork there, which is for mid-career uh, people who want to pivot and take up peace building as uh, perhaps uh, in the latter part of their career. They're, they have a median age of 41, so they're very experienced and uh, know what they're getting themselves into. I'd like to drill down into that area of, of uh, the peace program, but it's worthwhile mentioning, is it not, that peace and conflict re resolution uh, are uh, obviously very much part of the six areas of focus that Rotary has. That's been a key pillar. Indeed. Uh, uh, this, pillar. The expenditure on the Peace Fellows Program is second only to the NPOLIO Now Program, which is what now $500 million. Uh, the Rotary Foundation has already spent $120 million 
on this program. They take it very, very seriously. And that's a very serious monetary commitment. Well, Robert, uh, thank you. Uh, I'd like to take a little break here. And when we come back, I'd very much like to find out more about Rotary's involvement, especially in selecting Peace Fellows. Welcome back. This is 94.1 FM, 3WBC, the voice of the Inner East, and you're listening to the Rotary Radio Show. We're back talking with Professor Robert Helm, Chair of the Rotary District 9800 Foundation Peace Fellows Subcommittee, a very successful component of the Peace Fellows Program, uh, chaired by uh, Robert Helm. Uh, It's been so successful indeed that there have been, uh, I think, uh, Robert, uh, a very high number of uh, Peace Fellows that this district has been involved with. Yes, you're quite right there, Ian. Uh, We have uh, 34 people who've been successful in this program over the near 20 years of existence. Uh, so uh, there's, there's been uh, uh, nearly two per year, uh, one in the first few years, and certainly we've had one every year of the program. Uh, so um, yes, Bob Fells, uh, who uh, introduced this program to the district, uh, indeed uh, was involved in selecting some of the uh, centres uh, to become peace centres at these universities. Uh, and I might say excluded a couple after a few years because uh, the committees uh, who were monitoring them, the Rotary committees who were monitoring them, thought they weren't quite up to scratch. Uh, so Bob has been very central um, to this program since its inception and still uh, has his finger in the pie. And I know he regards this district uh, as a very successful provider of Peace Fellows. In fact, he, he has a special name for the success of this program, doesn't he? Yes, it's well known around the district as uh, being uh, the black caviar, um, (laughs) winning all those those group one races one after another, yes. Very well done. Now, Robert, you said the Peace Fellows program started in 2000, 2001. How are these selections made? What is the process and have the processes changed in regard to selection or any other component within the program? Uh, the, uh, the selection program uh, process uh, has probably evolved more than changed in my mind. What do I mean by that? Uh, we, we take a slightly different approach now than uh, when Bob uh, was uh, running it for that first 15 years. Um, at that time, it was very much the Rotarians of the district who uh, seemed to be involved in finding and putting forward people, young people that they knew or uh, people in mid-career to uh, nominate uh, for the program. Uh, These days we've um, uh, had uh, more um, contact with relevant organisations and for this uh, the lead uh, Rotary Club is uh, um, East Malvern, uh, Chadston, Chadston East Malvern, who set up a liaison with Victoria Police, uh, which we've continued through for about the last 10 years, and they have successfully nominated now about eight people at Inspector and above uh, to, um, to go to the certificate program. It, it's interesting that... Um, uh, to say that 
what the program is trying to do is to get fellows to network as well as access the higher levels of uh, the peace-building organisations in the world, such as the United Nations, Red Cross, and, and so on. Uh, and um, uh, they've been very uh, successful in that. This was brought really to the forefront for me just only a few weeks ago uh, when uh, we had one of the police fellows address the club at the regular meeting. And um, he is now... Uh, an assistant commissioner, uh, and uh, he uh, he told us that uh, he still networks on occasion with the cohort he was with in Thailand if he has a difficult problem and he wants some independent commentary from astute, experienced peace builders. And that's the sort of thing that Rotary was really trying to do. I think we're getting close to the time when we need to to uh, do that, of course, but to expand it into better networking with Rotarians and Peace Fellows, and that's something that I uh, would hope the district is going to focus on a bit more over the next few years. Those networks are very, very important to the process. Right, and that's generating really practical outcomes, isn't it? It is, because mm -hmm. these people go on and work in very senior positions. We've had people... Uh, go to uh, the UN headquarters in New York, the WHO in Geneva, Red Cross in Geneva, The Hague uh, in the Netherlands, uh, if they've come from a law background. Uh, so uh, people do very well. Uh, and um, uh, I, it's rather a pleasure to watch their careers, although we're not monitoring that, I must say, as, as well as we, we might. Um, uh, they uh, they are having an influence in the world, but I think we need to have much more influence. Yes, I certainly was going yeah, to ask yeah. you that a little further on. I thought that that's a, an important component of what you're doing. So the selection process has evolved. What what other changes have there been in the process? Um, I, I would say mm -hmm. that the number of candidates that we're getting to the district uh, has increased substantially. Um, this year I'm dealing with a record number, that's 26. Um, I've had um, uh, Zoom connection with a lady, I didn't know whether at the time she was in Paris or a man in Jordan, she had to tell me she was in Paris. So we, we do have contact with people in dis disparate parts of the world. Um, Bob and I worked together to successfully get uh, someone who was on uh, uh, the West Bank uh, up uh, in Palestine um, a few years back. Uh, that was uh, he was under house arrest at the time. We managed that using Skype to Goodness get through to, to him. But um, the it's it's the numbers of very experienced people who are now starting to pl uh, apply. Twenty six is is in fact a large number when we used to only get you know three or four in a year for each year. And how will that be broken down? Will, it, will, that, will that come down to two or three within uh, the year? No, it will, um, I'll try, and it's my role to do this. I, I communicate with all of them by one means or another. Some uh, who are in other parts of the world, I, I tell to contact the Rotary Club that is local to them, wherever they are. I've sent one lady to the Edinburgh Rotary Club uh, in the UK um, from this group that I've had this time. 
uh, someone from Bangkok uh, to one of the Rotary Clubs uh, there. So um, some, sometimes it's that. Sometimes people are a little too inexperienced to, to be competitive and I tell them that they really need to put in a few more uh, hard yards to uh, make themselves uh, eligible. That's what I was going to ask you. Well, what are the eligibility requirements, uh, base, the basic uh, requirements the, for them the, to be well, considered? It, it, it's, it, it's, very, it's very interesting to me as an ex-academic. Um, normally when you're applying from a grant, for a grant in the university system, say, uh, for money, uh, you've only got one constituency that you're thinking about and you're applying to. In this, you've got several. You've got the local club Rotarians uh, and uh, uh, they are interested in value for money when they interview the uh, candidates. They want to know what they're going to get for it. Um, will they be too old uh, to do anything for the, with their future career? Are they really going to gain something? Some of them might be too experienced and they not, the, the local Rotary Club will say, well, no. What's their knowledge of Rotary? And so on. The next constituency is the district selection committee which is pivotal and uh, these uh, this is uh, if I might say the heavies of the district past district governor current district governor next district governor uh, the chair of the Rotary Foundation committee for the district a couple of past fellows uh, and they uh, interview uh, a selection that I have put before them it's never been more than eight um, but uh, who knows what we have to do this year. Um, and uh, uh, they will uh, either endorse uh, everyone or a number, but some they might not, uh, but they don't rank them. Um, but they ask questions, what's your knowledge about Rotary? When was it founded? What's the biggest program of Rotary? Have you been to a Rotary meeting? Have you ever been an exchange student? Do you know what programs Rotary runs? That sort of high level stuff as well as judging whether people are committed and passionate about this program, because that's where uh, you, you have to start. And then uh, it goes, uh, the endorsed candidates, are, uh, their, their um, uh, applications are reviewed at a big meeting in Evanston uh, at the Rotary Foundation, which is uh, the Peace Centre directors. They've got vice chancellors looking over their shoulder to see that um, standards, academic standards are maintained. Uh, they are also looking particularly for different areas of expertise. Um, and I have to explain this to applicants, that if there are two or three people with the same area of expertise, then only one is going to get into the program because uh, the Peace Centre directors are going to select a cohort with different expertise. But what they're also interested in is judging whether these people can bond and uh, whether they can network with each other, uh, whether they've got good speaking skills so they can talk at the annual international meeting of Rotary. So um, they've got a number of different constituencies that they have to address in three short essay qu uh, question answers. Uh, and so a lot of people, that's quite, that's quite a challenge for them to do that. But they're the things that they have to have. And as Bob Fells uh, says, um, they've got to have relevant experience. And they must be university graduates? Uh, yes, although that's not strictly applicable to the certificate course, but it's 
uh, it, it's very uncommon now not to have someone with a, a tertiary a degree. tertiary degree. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, for the for the masters, most of the universities insist on a four-year degree, um, which is achieved by most before they think of applying. Yes, Robert. What are some of the notable areas in which Peace Fellows in District Nine Eight Hundred? What are some of those areas in which they've been involved? Now you've mentioned, for instance, uh, the police and those areas. Um, uh, now, what what other areas do they get involved with because of their professions? Well, uh, the the biggest growing area uh, is the humanitarian aid uh, area, and uh, the main participant in this over the last three years has been uh, Red R. Um, which is uh, derived from uh, Engineers Australia and uh, they have a contract with the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade whereby they provide and deploy people with expertise to trouble spots in the world who need either aid, fixing up after uh, hurricane, uh, floods, earthquakes, or whether there's uh, political discontent and civil war and these sorts of things. So um, that, that, that is a, a growing area. But there are a number of other areas, because pe uh, people have gone from Red Cross, World Vision. Uh, yes, I, I, I was going to ask you about that. In relation to refugees, for instance, is there involvement with that? Well, uh, here or overseas? Overseas. Yeah, yeah well... Um, one person I recall fondly was uh, actually a teacher who graduated from the University of Melbourne, uh, went teaching in the western suburbs after a, a stint uh, with the Department of Premier and Cabinet. Uh, so it was obviously uh, an extremely talented person. Then she took off and uh, was in a Syrian refugee camp in Jordan. Her boss, uh, who was a member of, uh, of a UN delegation, put this flyer in front of her face and said, you know, why don't you think of applying for that? Uh, she um, saw that you had to apply from a local Rotary Club. So um, she rang mum and dad in Northcote and was on the next plane home and they contacted the president of the Fitzroy Rotary Club, who lived a couple of doors from me. So we managed to um, interview her fairly quickly and get her back on a plane to a job in the refugee camp teaching. And in terms of their training, where have some of these uh, candidates, uh, or their selected candidates, gone to? What are the universities around the world and the institutions oh, that, they, that they go to? to? To do these courses. To do these courses yeah. in, in a, in a uh, primary There are sense. five. The first thing to say is you have to go uh, to one outside your own country. Remember, this is uh, a worldwide yes, process. Yes, yes. Uh, so they can't go to the program that's in uh, the University of Queensland, for example. Uh, so what's left? University of Bradford in the UK, um, the International Christian University in Japan, uh, Uppsala University in uh, Sweden, and a combined program through Duke University and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in the United States, as well as the certificate course, which is run through Chulalongkorn University uh, in Thailand, in, in Bangkok. And you mentioned this before, uh, but I think you were indicating to me, as I understood it, that we need to do better at this particular uh, task. Rotary keeping, a, keeping track of its Peace Fellows 
where they undertake a professional career uh, that Rotary has supported with their training. Are we doing that well enough? You seem to intimate that it's something we could do a little better to keep tabs on the success stories. We certainly can do a lot better, but it's not easy, I can assure you. I occasionally try and persuade someone to uh, come on to uh, John Fain here in Melbourne. I'd love to, but I'm, uh, I, I, I'm in Yemen. I can't come. Uh, I'm in um, uh, uh, Sierra Leone. I can't come. Uh, you know, this, this, this is uh, quite common. These people go off and do three months, six months, a year, a, a couple of years. There's a, la a, a woman who's going on the program in the next few months and uh, she uh, came from Red Cross. Uh, she's interested in logistics. Uh, she told, she's based in Fiji. She told me that uh, she runs the logistics for Red Cross over a quarter of the globe's surface area because it's all the Pacific Southeast Asia area. And she does ballet on the side and dance and all these things. A, a busy remarkably, soul. A remarkably mature person. Um, so, uh, Yes, they, they, uh, they really uh, do have uh, many attributes and they go to many far-flung flung paces, but uh, they may be difficult to keep in contact with. I remember one uh, had a, um, an email address which started the word nomad. <laughs> nomad. Good <Gracious>. <laughs> <laughs> I asked that, obviously, uh, because of the interest that I know this district, 9800, would have and Rotary International would have and where these people end up with the supported training they've had from Rotary. But uh, I, I ask it also because these are exactly the sort of people that I know Rotary would like to have back in their midst as members of uh, Rotary International, wouldn't they? That, they just, uh, going off into the ether to do good work is one thing, but to have them actually join up Rotary is another. Of course, uh, we would all love that and uh, a few do. We have. I had uh, two, mem two fellows become members of the Rotary Club of Melbourne, but that's uh, two out of uh, 35. So um, it doesn't happen that often because these people are not in the country very often and uh, go um, on and do their own, their own thing in many They're very ways. mobile and, very mobile. and their stay anywhere is yeah, very transient. Yeah. How, I They're wonderful I... as speakers to Rotary Clubs, yes. but hardly any Rotary Club in our district tries to get one. If they wanted to get one, would they speak to you? They would find it easier to um, speak to me or email me, um, contact me through the office of the Rotary Club of Melbourne. Uh, um, but um, uh, it's not, because it's not easy to lay your hands on one. We're lucky. Uh, we have uh, two fellows who've become academics in this town. Uh, one at the University of Melbourne and one at RMIT. So they are based here. Uh, but again, uh, I would say that um, we haven't made as much use of their talents as we might um, might have uh, in the district. Well, that's something to develop. I just want to go back, and I didn't ask this question, I want to ask it now. When they go to these universities that you've mentioned, how long are they there for on average? The master's course is uh, essentially 18 months. Uh, the certificate course is three months. And the support financially for them at that time? They're, uh, they're, so, they're totally supported. 
Um, but of course, uh, if they want to take their families, they have to make their own arrangements um, for that. We don't, the Rotary Foundation doesn't run to that. What the Rotary Foundation does do, though, that isn't well known, is that if, um, as part of their masters, uh, when they come to doing their field work for their thesis, uh, they can make application to the Rotary Foundation to be flown to a particular part of the world uh, to undertake some field work in relation to that thesis work. So the Rotary Foundation is very generous uh, in trying to um, build these people up uh, with, uh, with experience. Um, and of course, uh, the Rotary Clubs around these peace centres have become very experienced in uh, making sure that they're looked after and they uh, almost uniformly go and address Rotary Clubs uh, in the districts around those universities. Wonderful stuff and a great benefit for those clubs. A last question I'd like to ask you is, how does uh, an eligible individual apply to be considered for a Rotary Fellowship Program? What's the process for that? Well, first of all, is becoming aware of it, which uh, has been quite a challenge. But I think uh, the numbers we have this year tell us that we're doing pretty quite well. well at 20, that. You said 26, didn't yes, you? Yes, that's right. Um, but there, there's always going to be people out there who don't know about it, and it's word of mouth. And uh, uh, past fellows have become very important in in uh, spreading the word. Spreading the word. And there's a few Rotarians who pop up uh, always in, uh, in the recommendations of folk. So um, we're, we're, getting, we're getting there. The uh, flyer we send out uh, to every president of uh, a Rotary Club in the district and then uh, uh, the, uh, the chair of their Rotary Foundation, we hope that they will um, uh, spread the word. But I must say, over the years I've been involved, it's been a little bit disappointing in the numbers that have, have come from that source. Um, but um, uh, once they've decided uh, they, they have on that flyer uh, people they can contact, a uh, past fellow, um, Tanya Militech, who was our first Rotary Fellow, was on it, and then Bob Fells and myself are still on it. Uh, we um, uh, also um, hear from sometimes um, the Rotary Foundation uh, in uh, Chicago. Um, they might have someone in a, an unusual country uh, who doesn't have Rotary or a well-established Rotary and they will ask us because we've got more expertise in it than anybody else um, to help an application from, from that particular person. But there's one every two or three years in, in, that, in that category. So um, they generally end up speaking uh, to me. Uh, I make a point of um, meeting with as many as I can if they're coming through Melbourne. I try and persuade them to come to a face-to-face -face, uh, meeting. I drink a lot of coffee between February and May uh, and uh, I talk to them uh, if I think that they've got a good case. And many of them don't make a, a good case when they first meet me. They tell me about their academic qualifications rather than their humanitarian work and their volunteer work and, and these sorts of things. And enthusiasm really the same. Well, those, that comes across. You can yeah. get that out of them. Um, 
But uh, then uh, I asked them to prepare drafts of the essay question answers. And um, being uh, an old academic, it's hard to lose the habit of saying, well, you didn't answer the question that was asked or uh, make, you make the odd comment to, to help people just think things through and make sure that their well, that's good, syntax it? is right. And, but it's up to them in the end to put it all together. It's all online. Uh, and they have to have their referees reports online as well as the application uh, by the 31st of May. Well, for the financial support that they receive if they're selected, you would expect that as a primary consideration, obviously, uh, to either go to the master's course for 18 months or for the certificate course for three months. You'd want some bona fides, wouldn't you, as to their capabilities, and uh, that is only fair, that, that vetting process. Absolutely. Rotarians are uh, putting their hand in their pocket for this uh, to the tune of uh, about uh, probably, uh, it's hard to get the exact figures, but say 125,000 US dollars per candidate who's successful. You've got a very responsible job to do. Well, Professor Robert Helm, thank you so much for joining us on the Rotary Radio Show. And thank you especially for your contribution in this very special area uh, that Rotary is involved in, in terms of appointing Peace Fellows. It's typical of uh, what Rotary does, and as I always say, it uh, very much supports Rotary's theme of service above self, and that's what Rotary does in terms of supporting these people. And uh, this year's theme, as I always talk about in this year, Rotary's theme in this year is be the inspiration, and, and you are for Rotary, and those Peace Scholars we hope will be in the future. Good luck, Robert, and thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks very much, Ian. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This podcast was produced and presented by Ian Salick of Rotary District 9800 in Victoria, Australia. More podcasts can be found on iTunes by typing into your browser Rotary Radio Doing Good in Victoria or alternatively by going to the Rotary District 9800 website at www.rotarydistrict9800.org.au and clicking on Rotary Radio.